This is the Australian Home Building Show with your building broker, Steve Fitzpatrick. This show is lovingly put together for all those people considering building their dream home. So if you're overwhelmed with the idea of building, stay tuned for practical tips, tricks, and plenty of great info. Now, here is your building broker and host, Steve Fitzpatrick. Hello everyone, this is Steve Fitzpatrick, the Managing Director of Your Building Broker, and today I am with Max from Aussie Home Loans. We're going to be talking a little bit about finance. So hi Max, welcome aboard. Hi Steve, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thanks. So Max, you're with Aussie Home Loans, and I'm just wondering if you could tell our listeners how long you've been with Aussie. Okay, well I've been with Aussie essentially for, well, be six years in December. My employer has actually changed a few times. Right. I was originally GE, then Wizard, and then Aussie through acquisitions. Right, okay. But essentially yeah. I've, I've been uh, with the one employer for six years, or just coming up for six right. years. Okay, so you're pretty well a full bottle these days on finance. Yeah, yeah, and look, I did economics at, at, at uni. Finance is, is definitely my okay, game. <laughs> so you did economics and then you chose to become a, uh, a mortgage broker? Yeah. That's a uh, that's an interesting career decision. Um, so, Max, we wanted to talk a little bit today about different finance options and things that people can do. What would be some of the most common things you get people asking for when they're coming and looking for a home loan? They just want to know you know how much they can borrow normally you know how the first homeowners grant works whether they should be buying established or you know looking at building generally speaking you know people just want a bit of guidance and and that's normally where we fit in okay and Aussie being a mortgage broker what's the advantages of going to a mortgage broker as opposed to going directly to a bank well with Aussie we're slightly different because we are a lender as well um, that's originally how we came about about 18 years ago uh, we did start out as a lender challenging the banks and slowly but surely we managed to force you know their rates down. Uh, it got to a point where we couldn't really force them down any further, so we decided to to, to join them in, in in one sort of sense and, and start brokering to them. Uh, really, the main advantage of using a broker rather than going direct to the lender is saving you the time of shopping around. Okay, and then you go through. You can highlight different options that are available to them as far as financing costs, loan establishment fees, those sorts of things. Exactly. For example, you know, let's say that the cheapest loan is with National Australia Bank. If you are, a, say, a Commonwealth customer and you walk into Commonwealth, they're just going to tell you what they've got on offer. They're not going to say, oh, hang about, go next door. National are yeah, doing slightly yeah. better than us. So uh, there's lots of little intricacies that people don't really realize. Things like you know, the difference in cost in mortgage insurance between different lenders, the different fees associated with the, the loans and, and so forth, and, and where they're, you know, also what sort of policies they have yep. and how that would fit with the customer situation. Yeah, it's not as simple as just finding the cheapest loan each time. Yeah, sure. One thing that, that you raised uh, just then was when people are trying to compare loans, you have a software suite that you use, is that right? Yeah, that's right. We've got something called Mortgage Explorer. Aussie is very proud of Mortgage Explorer and um, they've actually invested a lot of money to improve that. They're looking at releasing something out to us um, early next year, which will be you know, even better. Um, at the moment, it is pretty good. You know, we can compare whether this loan is, you know, which loan is going to be the cheapest for your particular circumstance. So we plug in you know, how much you're borrowing, how much your security is worth, um, what, what sort of features you want from the loan, and it will narrow it down and, and order all of the loans that we have from our panel of lenders from one to 
Oh, probably one to three hundred if you opened up all the parameters. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Normally, you know, we we show you in uh, we compare them three on a page, um, and yeah, generally speaking, I won't go past the the second or third page. So yeah. So typically, someone would come in, sit down with you, and say, right, this is sort of my financial position. This is what I'm trying to achieve, whether they're buying a new house or building or uh, doing something along those lines. And then you'll narrow their choice down, remove a lot of the uh, surplus and the excess out of the way and then really narrow it down to some good choices as to who they can borrow with. Exactly. We go a little bit further. We, we do a full needs analysis with, with every customer. So we try and you know, tailor make the solution to their needs. Okay. What, uh, what would be some of the different kind of needs that people may be asking for? Depends on the customer. You know, for a first home buyer, for example, with, let's say, not, not the, the biggest budget, if they're going to be on you know, fairly tight sort of constraints, they might just want a fairly basic style loan with a sort of, you know, a set and forget direct debit, yeah. and, and they wouldn't need any other features. Yeah, okay. yeah, They might want the free redraw and that sort of stuff. Um, but then, you know, if you've got the more complex situation, maybe a bit of extra money that, you know, can be used to, to work in your favour, you might want something a bit more sophisticated, you know, right. offset accounts and, uh, and so on. The offset accounts and the redraw facilities are something that I find useful for myself because I also used to, I haven't recently, but I used to dabble a lot in the share market as well. And so that was giving me the flexibility to be able to invest in the stock market and then withdraw and put money back in when I was would sell. And then the whole time having that offset against my loan whenever the funds were in the account. What I did find was after a period of time that I uh, ended up seeing that the stock market just wasn't moving enough and in essence it was I was actually better off having that money sitting in the offset account with the risk that goes along with share market trading the buy in and sell prices that come out of it as well yep and all the uh, all the costs associated there your commissions etc yeah. yeah that's right um, i mean yeah that's how i use my loan as well most people if you went into a bank they'd be sold a line of credit and generally speaking you'll pay more for a line of credit and like you've said you know if you've got the offset account or using the redraw facility that can work much more in your favor you know that's exactly what i do on a day-to-day basis i know when they first came out with the offset accounts a number of my friends and other people that i was working with at the time were really nervous that they were thinking if they had the funds there they wouldn't be disciplined enough to leave it alone do you find that people still get into that trap or are we getting better with our money in able to leave that and continue to build up the offset account so that it still gets the advantage of paying off the mortgage but it has funds available if we ever need it? Yeah, I have found that a lot of customers do fall into that very same trap with the offset account. Yeah. And for those people that aren't very good at budgeting, the redraw facility tends to be something slightly better because they seem to treat it, I think, psychologically slightly differently. Right. If it's in an offset account, it's like, oh, that's my money. I'm going to use that. Yep. Yeah, take it in and out. Um, holidays, all that stuff. Exactly. <laughs> all the good stuff. Um, if it's just, you know, you have available redraw, you know, all you're doing is you're seeing money that you owe the balance coming down. So psychologically, I guess it's, you know, you don't feel that it is your money. That normally works better for, for someone who isn't, you know, the best budgeter. But yeah, it, you know, it will depend on, on the individual, really. As far as timeframes go, what should clients think if they're going to a, a lender like yourself to set up a loan? Um, what sort of time frame can they expect to receive sort of a unconditional approval going forward? With an unconditional approval, it will depend, obviously, how far they've got with the construction phase. So if they haven't signed up their building contracts, yeah, etc. Let's say it's right from the beginning and, and they're just getting started and they want to get it all put in place. Okay. You'll probably have to fill in some of the blanks here, but look, I would get it pre-approved subject to or conditionally approved subject to you know, building 
contracts and etc. Yep. Um, within within a day or two. Right. Okay. Um, so most people could walk into your your branch and say, "Listen, this is what I'm looking at doing. I'm going to need about X amount of dollars to build this place." Well, let's say for example, you know, they're conditionally approved. They come back to me with their signed up building contract. Um, look, in my experience, you know, you, you're normally going to take at least a month or so before you come back with those building contracts. But let's just say that you know, the next day they were able to obtain a building contract and they came back into my office. It would depend on what type of valuation, if any, was needed. But in the best case scenario, I've had applications submitted on the Thursday night after hours approved by one you know, formally approved by 1 p.m. the next day right okay so in that scenario obviously you know they were happy with their equity position you know they had a 20 percent deposit yeah didn't need to do a valuation we'd pre-approved the loan previously so you know by 1 p.m. the next day it was all approved right okay so Max just want to talk to you a little bit about bridging loans if someone's looking to build a new house and they're often living in their their current home they may put their current home on the market, but it may not have sold before the new house starts building. So they'll often look for a bridging loan so that they can pay for their new home being built while their current home is still on the market. Um, is that still a common occurrence? And is there any issues with bridging loans at the moment with banks? Um, yeah, it definitely is still a common occurrence. It will depend on, on what your particular circumstances, what you want to do. I've got one right now where they're, they were tossing up whether to sell before and, and then start building, you know, so they have a little bit less debt going into the construction. But in, in their actual position, you know, it turned out that renting was more expensive than what they're paying on their current mortgage. They only right. owe about, I think it's 243000 at the moment, so they're in a pretty good position. And you know, they've decided that you know, they're better off keeping that house and staying there until the other house is built entirely now depending on the situation there'd be you know a few different options one would be a true bridging loan generally speaking that means you have to have sold your house within 12 months look with the way construction is going now most houses built within a, about a six month period that's not a problem you know when properties were taking 12 months plus it just wasn't practical um, and you know you're only going back two or three years when when that was the scenario even at the moment most of the two stories that i'm building or have clients who are building through me um, they're still taking sort of nine to to eleven months, most of them, and mm-hmm. it's only really once we start getting into the luxury market, or if we're going three stories and above, that they're taking sort of fifteen to eighteen months at the moment. Okay. So we're pretty lucky at the moment as far as uh, the building timeframes go, and it looks like that's going to remain fairly constant uh, as a uh, variable, which is good news for anyone thinking about building. None of the uh, the same drawn out uh, problems that we had during the boom period. Well, I think you know from what you're saying there, you probably wouldn't be that happy with a bridging type loan because essentially you're going to get to a point where all right, the house is pretty much complete, but now I've got to sell this within a month or so, or you know, three months at best. Yeah. Look, generally speaking, you know you are going to pay a bit more for a bridging loan as well. You can normally still qualify for a standard loan, which might give you a bit more time to decide what you want to do. Uh, the customer that I'm looking at at the moment, um, he's not entirely sure. You whether he will definitely sell the property or not but they're looking at building a new house and still living in the one that they're living in now until it's built with the option to then either rent out the one that they are living in right now right as an investment property. as an investment property or selling it at their leisure yep. rather than you know having to work within the bank's constraints they've got a bit more freedom yeah so yep. as long as they've got the equity there and of course you know that they can afford to you know make the repayments on both properties, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, with construction, you will only um, pay the interest on what's 
outstanding as you go through the different stages. You know, normally split up into five stages, but you know, as you get towards that very last stage, things can get a bit tight. Yeah. And this is where you might choose whether to capitalize the interest in, if of course you've got, you know, you're in that position, or you might want to, you know, just pay the interest only uh, in the short term. I wonder if you could explain, Max, to the listeners have a little bit more about what that actually means when you're capitalizing interest. Okay. Well, let's say we're looking at, I don't know, a customer where they're owing about 380000 which would probably be you know, a fairly normal scenario, and they're looking at building, let's just say it's a fairly cheap property as, as their first investment property, let's say 220000 I remember we looked at you know, the option of capitalizing in the interest. We were looking at a rate of just under 6.5% on this one. So on his $600,000 loan yep. for a year, we were talking almost $40,000 in interest. Right. Now, one option obviously would be to capitalize that interest in, which basically means after a year, you will owe 640000 rather than 600000 Right. But it takes the pressure off you because you don't have to come up with a forty grand cash exactly. while the place is getting built and you're getting your drawdowns from the builder. Yep. So you know, if, you're in, if you're on a tight budget then that would be you know, a huge advantage. You're not having to actually pay the interest. You probably, if you can afford to pay something, you still would want to pay something yeah, so that you yeah. don't end up with this you know, huge loan at the end of it. Yeah, sure. You know, maybe try and find a happy medium. You know, let's pay half of that interest whilst it's being done. So you know, at least your loan's then only 620 versus 640. Yeah, sure. And because then, I know when I built this place and I was paying, I, I sold my old house uh, and then I, I built this place and while I was renting, actually we managed to rent directly uh, opposite where we were building. And I think I looked at the uh, interest that I'd paid over the course of, uh, of the building period from the time we settled on the block through to the time we actually moved in. It was about $7,500. And so if you're paying rent as well as having to find an extra seven and a half grand, you know, it can become quite tight, especially in... This is the one thing that I do find with building is mm. that once we reach lockup where the house is pretty well, you know, the shelves being built, the roofs on, the windows go in, um, and then you're just doing the fit out on the internal. That's when a lot of the drawdown from the loans have occurred. And that's where clients are feeling the most pressure because they're paying almost the, uh, the full repayments on their home because the, a lot of the drawdown has happened. And in the meantime, they're still paying rent quite often. Yeah. And so that's where that the stress levels tend to start to rise. And having a little bit of comfort, if they knew, well, we're actually capitalising this, we're not having that pressure of actually having to pay. Um, essentially, they are. It's built into the loan, like mm. you say. But it's uh, it's definitely a little bit easier on the uh, on the stress levels if it's already pre-approved and, and pre-arranged and then you can get, get on with just building the house and... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you're exactly right. You know, when you are getting to those last stages, things can get a bit tight. Yeah. What I normally recommend to people is, you know, I would normally say pay a little bit extra in, in the early days, yeah. so more than what the minimum payment would be, so that you're building up a bit of a buffer, yeah. so that when you are going to, let's say, capitalise in the interest in the latter stages, it's not going to have such you know, a, a damaging effect to your total loan size. Yeah. Um, and look, it will depend on your situation. You know, if you if you're renting at the same time, it it can be pretty tough. Yeah. Do it, the banks like capitalising it, or or are we saying we're getting a little bit creative here, where we talk with the builder and we say, listen, can you put in a sort of a pre-start allowance of you know ten thousand dollars so that uh, we may be able to spend that at pre-start, 
and then we get the finance approval for the full loan and then we get that credited back or you know are we, yeah. are we being creative or are the banks actually happy and say yeah we understand that it will depend on the debt level yeah if, 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 that 20 percent is really important at the moment isn't exactly it? exactly um Look, you know, the more equity you've got or, or the bigger deposit you've got, the better. And then, you know, the more chances of being able to capitalize that interest in. In actual fact, you know, there, there are lenders, um, and this is more for the first home buyers. Although, you know, if you don't own any property at all, this would be relevant as well. There is a lender called Keystart that's also on our panel yep. that will allow you to pay just a minimum payment of $50 a week. Right. Okay. So essentially, you know, you are capitalizing the interest in, but they're just, want to know that you are at least committing to paying something. Yeah. I like I actually like Keystar because that's how I got my who I got my very first loan through when I uh, first bought a established home and uh, Keystar made it very easy to get into the market. I think at the time I didn't need a deposit even though I'd mm. saved a deposit. So that was handy because it just left some money up my sleeve you know to do things when we moved in to actually, you know, change a couple of window treatments and carpets and and whatnot um, and i think we did a bit of landscaping as well so um, but we got in there made it nice and easy just getting into the line because keystart also only do three drawdowns like yes a maximum of three which yep. i know the builders don't like because <laughs> they're not getting paid very often for their yep. work and a lot of the time they're on 30-day accounts and they're not getting paid for 60 days yeah um, so that's it's not nice from a builder's point of view <laughs> Nevertheless, it uh, it still gets people into their first home, so that's uh, that's a big plus. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Keystart still does have its place. Um, up until ten months ago, you were right; you could walk in to to Keystart essentially without anything in your in your pocket, and um, yeah, you could go out and buy your, your first home or build your first home with uh, with nothing in the bank. But times have changed, and yeah, the, yeah. You know, it is a government institution, and they and they realise that. It probably wasn't you know, the most responsible lending practice. Yep. So what, what's really happened now is they do want to have a bit of a deposit. They want to have a 6% deposit. Oh, really? Um, okay. Actually, did that only just come in sort of this year? Yes. Uh, they, they, see, they've, they've gone from the end of last year when the stimulus ended, people were walking away with extra money in their pocket right. <laughs> right, okay. as well. But back then, you, know, you needed 2%, which could have been from the first homeowner's grant. Yeah. It then went to 4% later, um, oh, when was it? I'm thinking about March, and then round about June, they, they did move it up to 6%. Right, okay. So the, and the, can the first homeowners grants still go towards that 6%? Do they allow that, or are they actually looking for you to yeah, get your 6% savings? It can go towards it. I'll have to double-check, but from memory, I think as long as at least 2% of your savings is what they consider genuine savings, now, by that, they mean that you have actually saved it up in your bank over a at least a three-month period right. or maintained a level of 2% for a three-month period. Right, okay. Um, and are you allowed to uh, have parents contribute to your savings? Yes, so as long as, the two, as, long as you have your 2% genuine, if the, they don't really care where the rest of the money comes from right, as long okay. as it's not borrowed. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that's fair enough too because, you know, especially as a, you know, if you're 21, 22 years old and you're earning, I don't know, 30 grand a year and you're trying to save save money and and all the rest of it, it's pretty tough. Oh, definitely. Um, but they, so they are looking just for 2% genuine uh, savings and then the rest could be come from uh, your parents or the first home owners grant or exactly. something. Exactly, like yep, yep, or a mixture. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, uh, that's all pretty good. What about... Um, 
uh, low dock loans. What's the state of low dock loans now? Because we we heard a lot about them pre GFC, and and you know everyone's turning around, pointing the finger now, saying, "Well, it's because we gave out all these low dock loans that uh, we're now in the problem, we're facing the problem the world is at the moment." Yep. Where are we at with that at the moment? Can you still get a low dock loan or a no dock loan? Um, yes, you can. Um, things have got a lot harder. You know, we are in a fairly fortunate position in Australia where you know, we didn't have the same sort of issues as the States. You know, there, there weren't really that many subprime lenders uh, loans happening. Yep. Really, the banks have come about and done something themselves in terms of they've become a bit more responsible. Um, generally speaking, if you are going up to, let's say, 80%, you've only got a 20% deposit, yep. um, they will still want to pretty much identify you have got that income. And that's normally done through BAS statements. Right, okay. Now, there is an exception there, um, and that would be, <clears throat> we've got two lenders, actually, that are still going up to 80% without any BAS statements. So, essentially, that is still a no-doc loan. Then, we've also had the NCCP come in, the National Consumer Credit Protection Act. Right. Um, that first stage took effect on the 1st of July, and there's more implications come the 1st of January. But what that has meant you have to prove that the customer can afford it. You as the lender? At the moment, only the broker has to prove it. Right. As of the 1st of January, the bank or the lender has to prove it as well. I think the reason for there being a bit of a lag is that banks and lenders take a bit more time to adjust, whereas brokers can be a bit more flexible. Right. Okay. And the so when you're saying you have to be able to prove it, is that just with... I mean, if, if someone's coming to you and saying, here's my income statement from my employer... There's my, you know, my best statement, or there's my, um, you know, my last year's tax return. Is that enough? Yeah. So look, it could be from you know, bank statements. I think the new way around it, and I think this has obviously gone in line with the thinking of the NCCP regulation starting on the first of Jan, um, is an accountant declaration. Right. Okay. So we've just seen one lender that will go up to 70% without charging a customer any mortgage insurance, which is you know, a pretty unique product that used to exist, but you know, it's, it's new since you know, the low doc started to die down a bit. And all they're asking for is an accountant's letter to say, yep, they can't afford it or this is what they're earning. Otherwise, you know, under the 60% mark, banks or lenders aren't really asking for any proof of the income. But as of the 1st of January, they will be. And I think you know, that it's Adelaide Bank, basically. I think that's how they've cottoned on to, to getting around that, is getting the declaration from the accountant. Right. But, but ways that we verify it at the moment are the BAS statements, older tax returns, um, or bank statements. So if we can see the cash flow, yep. um, maybe if I got like six months' worth of your last bank statements and averaged it out, then you know, that would satisfy me as well and the uh, NCCP. One thing that we haven't discussed, um, Max, is refinancing. Okay. And uh, I thought we should quickly uh, cover that topic. What are the advantages or when do you think uh, people should start to consider refinancing? Look, most people tend to review their finances at least every three or four years. And you know, within that sort of time frame, that is when people do tend to refinance or buy another property or whatever it might be, even if it's downsizing. Yeah. Um, normally the best time to review it is when you are doing something major. You know, let's say you're doing some renovations, consolidating some debt, purchasing another property, whatever it might be. 
because then you're going to have to pay some fees to your current lender anyway to do a whole new application. Right. So why not review the whole situation and normally, you know, pay the same in costs but get yourself a better deal at the same time. And so when you talk about a better getting a better deal, and and at Aussie I know you'll save us. Yeah. <laughs> but when you talk about getting that better deal, what kind of difference can people find, or what some of the examples that you know as far as more money in their pocket each week. All right. I mean, a, a good example, I don't really want to pick on banks, but um, <laughs> I'm going to pick on one anyway. Generally speaking, you walk into a bank, they want to sell you the product that's going to make them the most money. Yep. So that would normally mean a standard variable type loan. Yep. For example, if you're with Westpac on their standard variable, I think it's sitting at 7.51, yeah, we might be able to get you down to below 6.5%. So All of seven. a sudden, yeah. you're saving 1%. Now, let's say average loan size is 300000 That's $3,000 a year that yeah. you'd be better off. So more money for the battlers. Definitely. So we, we should get you on today tonight to, uh, <laughs> to talk about saving, saving the battlers. Yeah, definitely. And, and look, you know, we do come across people that are even more out of market. Um, I think I got one where they're on, it was about 7.8 or, or even higher. Ouch. And look, for them just to carry on paying what they're already paying was going to shave off, oh, from memory, was going to shave, I think, about another nine years off their, their home loan. Wow. At the cheaper rate, obviously. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Max from Aussie Home Loans, and I'd really like to thank Max for being the first person that I've had on with our podcast series. Max has been really helpful. He's a fantastic guy, very easy to work with, and every client I've ever referred to Max has really appreciated the speed in which he, he worked. He's at stationed down in Morley at the Aussie branch there. His name's Max Reinhardt. Fantastic information. Thanks very much, Max. And... Uh, to all of our listeners, I want to say this first one was a little bit of a mission. This was actually recorded about six weeks ago, and it's just taken me so long to get my head around uh, the actual audio software to just edit this. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found the information very helpful, and we'll be doing more podcasts in the very near future. Thanks very much for listening. This is Steve Fitzpatrick from Your Building Broker. If you're thinking about building, we're the first people you should speak to. You've just come that little bit closer to building your dream home thanks to your building broker Steve Fitzpatrick and the Australian Home Building Show. Best designs, best builders, best prices. That's your building broker.